0: Log Talk Radio.
1: In the long history of the world, only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger. I do not shrink from this responsibility. I welcome it. I do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. And so, my fellow Americans, whether you are citizens of America or citizens of the world ask of us here the same high standard of strength and sacrifice which we ask of you with a good conscience our only sure reward with history the final judge of our deeds let us go forth to lead the land we love, asking his blessing and his help, but knowing that here on earth, God's work must truly be our own. All of you who are here tonight, all who put so much heart soul work into this campaign, you can be the new majority, you can lead the nation, out of a long political dart. Democrats, independents, and Republicans who are tired of the division and distraction that has clouded Washington, who know that we can disagree without being disagreeable, who understand who understand that if we mobilize our voices to challenge the money and influence that stood in our way and challenge ourselves to reach something better. There is no problem we cannot solve. There is no destiny that we cannot fulfill.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, folks, it is Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And I'll tell you what, you may want to break out some flags. We say this from week to week. Uh, but I'll tell you right now, hold on to your seatbelt, folks, because tonight we shine the spotlight on Mr. Ron LeGrand from Washington, D.C. And he's not a congressman or a senator, but he has set precedent, if you will, that tonight we highlight one who has made an impact not only in our nation's capital as the uh, chief judicial counsel to the committee on the judiciary, Uh, for the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. And, folks, make no mistake about it, he's a heavy hitter just like the rest. Hang on to your seats. AJC Radio ascends on the steps of the nation's capital. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Hang on. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have your travel arrangements made because we are coming from our nation's capital, but we are in Colorado Springs. However, tonight we ascend on the steps of the Capitol and uh, on Capitol Hill and with our members of Congress and people who are shaking up a nation. And Ron LeGrand is one of those folks tonight. And uh, welcome to the program. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Jeanette Williams. And how are you folks tonight? Good. How are Doing you? Doing good. Doing
3: great, Lamont.
2: All right. And uh, folks, if uh, we sound a little excited. Red Bull has nothing to do with it. Yes, it Five-hour energy has nothing to do with it. But I'll tell you right now, Lisa, as we were saying before, Cliff, Jeanette, we have seen some huge responses from Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You know, when you're on the phone and, and working in a call center, I've done that years ago, and they used to say there were calls in queue. Well, we have... Members of Congress in queue that are in line to come on spotlight on Capitol
3: Hill. Lisa, this is getting more and more exciting every day, isn't it? Oh, it's getting up there. They, I mean, you never would have expected that kind of response. And people are just, I mean, they're calling us wanting to know, hey, when can we, when can we get scheduled to get on that show?
2: Uh, absolutely, and uh, you'd have to walk the, the 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 steps and the hills of uh, of, of Washington D.C. And Cliff uh, probably went through a couple of pair of shoes uh making his way up to the Capitol Cliff. Uh we uh have done some work here along the way. Uh how good is it to feel that you know what our congressmen are interested. Our people in Washington who are making decisions Texas to Congress in when he said it's time that the folks ask the right people the right questions. I think AJC C radio is stepping out and doing that tonight. Absolutely, you know the the uh
4: one Uh, that has continued to be uh, spoken by the members of Congress as we interview them and talk to them is how much they appreciate that we are bringing the message to to the masses, to the people that tells what Congress is about, not just, okay, here's something that happened bad in Congress, here's some hot topic on Capitol Hill, but this is what Congress is doing. This is bringing the information, how they come to the conclusion on what laws should be made and from the per- the uh basically the <laughs> the position sure. of the, of the members of Congress that we're talking to is that this is appreciated by them It really is. that
2: uh just calls radio is uh
4: is basically doing this for them and, and uh we appreciate
2: their time as well. well absolutely and without question uh folks you know if you go outside this evening, it's not as hot as it's been uh you may not need the air conditioning on not uh, too much longer. Uh, Right now in New York City, 64 degrees. Los Angeles, always beautiful weather there, 82 degrees, mostly sunny. Colorado Springs, we're enjoying some balmy conditions at 72 degrees and partly cloudy. But I'll tell you what, no matter what the weather is outside, AJC Radio continues to heat up and the temperatures continue to rise as we take a look at America's best folks, we believe, who have the answer uh, of coming together, working together to bring about change. And that happens with the folks that take office. And you heard the clip at the beginning of the show with JF Kennedy saying, Don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Jeanette, how important is that for people to have that mindset? As we get ready, to, as, whether you're an advocacy group, whether you're a congressman, whether you're just an American citizen sitting on the couch tonight enjoying the freedoms in which people have died for, how important is that? What can we do for our country? How important is that?
5: we got to get involved. It's very important, Lamont, because as many say, you know, you can't complain about a system if you're not getting in there and doing your job, letting your voice be heard to be a part of it. So, very important.
2: Good deal. And we said before on this program, if you went to English class 101 in 8th grade, 7th grade, there were two uh, pieces of thing you learned while you are in class. One of those were uh, what was a noun and what was a verb. Uh, a noun kind of just stood at the beginning, if I'm not correct, of a sentence. Is that correct? Is that correct, folks? Yeah. Any English majors out there, is that correct?
3: I'm not one, but I think so. All right, so you have a noun
2: and then you have a verb. What was the
3: the verb meant? The verb
5: is the action word. The
2: verb is what's moving. Ladies and gentlemen of America, it is time that we as American people become verbs. And uh, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, we are recognizing verbs in our nation and folks that are doing something and not just standing still. We are advocates for justice. And until we get involved and begin to move, Nothing's going to change, and that's something that's very, very important that we must pay attention to. So uh, just a little bit of information. Lisa, read our disclaimer to our listeners, please.
3: Okay, we just want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys, and a just cause does not provide any legal advice. you want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC Radio. And as always, we want to thank you for taking a little time out and spending time with us this evening.
2: And Thank you for that, Lisa. We appreciate that. Ladies and gentlemen, grab a cup of lemonade. Isn't it quite cold enough not to put the lemonade machine up quite yet? Go grab you some lemonade, perhaps some coffee, maybe a streusel, whatever fits your fancy, as we get ready to take a trip to our nation's capital. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We're coming right back at you. Hang in there. Ladies and gentlemen of America, the month of October happens to be the National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, an issue that is crippling America, destroying families, and shattering homes. Today, we take a moment to reflect and to remember the victims of domestic violence. We want you to know there is a way out. Ron LeGrand in Washington, D.C., the vice president of the National Network to End Domestic Violence, has set out on a journey to execute change that is about saving lives, saving mothers, saving daughters, saving friends from the cruelty of domestic violence. We ask that if you have any issues, please call the Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 as we heal the wounds of domestic violence As a nation, AJC Radio takes a moment to remember the victims, and our fight will always continue. Ladies and gentlemen of America, it is high time in the United States that action be taken, that situations have solutions. Well, in Colorado Springs, Pastor Rose Banks of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church has started an initiative called Let's Talk. What does that mean? It means coming together, talking, working together, whether it's law enforcement, government. Change doesn't happen without talking. Colorado Springs Fellowship has started this initiative, and we have rave reviews. Ladies and gentlemen, every third Tuesday of every month, We will be sponsoring and honoring the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church as they set out to bring about change in the community. We will have notable speakers in the month of October, Bernard Carrick, November, Ron LeGrand from Washington, D.C., legislator and lawyer for the Judicial Committee of the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. And if that's not enough for you, ladies and gentlemen, the new year holds great things. We'll leave it there, but I'll tell you right now, you don't want to miss all of the things that are coming to Let's Talk. And it's on its way. Let's Talk Colorado Springs Fellowship, 451 Wind Chime Place in Colorado Springs, Colorado, hosted by Pastor Rose Banks, as we bring the community together for change. You don't want to miss it. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Let's Talk is kicking off. You need to be a part of it. Call today at 719 597 8800 for more information, we'll see you there. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This is Lamont Banks along with at AJC Radio, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Jeanette Williams. And tonight, we take a moment to say thank you to our listeners for joining us on each and every program. We appreciate you. Tell your family and friends and everybody that you know that AJC Radio is delivering a message and bringing the message of justice all around the world. And as we get started, uh, Lisa, uh, we had the opportunity, uh, Cliff uh, and Jeanette, we had an opportunity to sit down with a, what I call a legend and Ron LeGrand, and an outstanding uh, young man that is doing things, Lisa, that uh, not only affects Washington, D.C., but is affecting the nation as a whole uh, not only what he's done on Capitol Hill uh, over 30 years, uh, but what he has done now in his current role as the vice president uh, of the National Network to End Domestic Violence. Lisa, when we when we talked to him, there was one thing that was very clear. He had a heart for change.
3: Yes, absolutely. He's very passionate about what he's doing for uh for people who are dealing with domestic violence. I mean it's a it's a horrible situation to be in. It's I mean it's something that you don't you're not gonna understand it if you don't live it, if you don't walk that road, you're not gonna ever understand it. But you it's good to have people out there that are walking with you and being that hand extended to help you get through what you have to get through in that kind of situation. No
2: oh, absolutely and uh he had a huge impact on us. Uh and again Lisa that's just a, a very small piece and, and not to make light of what he's doing now but the impact he made in uh, Congress, yes, what he has done over the years there, and matter of fact, the uh, his position uh, on the national network to end domestic violence came as a result of a uh, act that was signed by the president of the United States in regard uh, to domestic violence. I'm going to let him get into that. But we had an opportunity to sit down with him, and we're getting ready to uh, to take you folks to that interview. Thanks, hang on folks, hang on. This is this is interesting and it is compelling. We introduce to you Ron Legrand. Hello, Mr. LeGrand. How are you today?
0: I'm doing well. How are you today?
2: We're doing well, Ron, and uh thank you so much. Uh I'll address you as Mr. Legrand for the purposes of this show. Uh, and with the uh honor we show you today, and we appreciate you taking a few moments with us. Uh, and, and know this, uh, Ms. LeGrand, you are the first non-Congressman, non-Senator, that we have chosen uh, to uh, to appear on Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And that is because of the impact and your experience, your history, and your commitment in public service uh, at our nation's capital. And we appreciate you taking some time with us today. Uh, To join us And uh, we're glad that uh, that you're here
0: Well, thank you so much for having me And uh, I I wasn't aware that I would be the first uh, non-member of Congress To appear on your program That is uh, uh, indeed an honor, uh, to say the least uh, And and very humbling I I know of uh, some of the members uh, of Congress In both the House and the Senate whom you have had on your program and uh, uh, people whom I am uh, very much in awe of and hold in very high esteem. And I might add uh, members uh, from both sides of of the political aisle. So thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: Okay. And thank you, uh, Mr. LeGrand. First of all, we'd like to ask you a little bit about that. Uh, We are... As you know, uh, in a position in this country facing some, uh, and b- before I go there, uh, Ron, uh, Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, uh, is also uh, joining uh, us in this interview. Say good morning, folks.
3: Good morning, Mr. LeGrand. How are you?
6: I
0: am fine, Mr. Stewart. How are you today?
3: I'm doing great.
4: And Ron, it's All good right. to talk to you again. Uh, you know, we have, we appreciate you taking a little time out of your day to join us here on uh, Spotlight on Capitol Hill.
2: Well, again, thank you so much. Okay, and and, and as we go forward, uh, Mr. LeGrand, we, as you know, uh, and we're going to get into, uh, and and ladies and gentlemen of America, make no mistake about it, uh, Mr. LeGrand is involved with something that is very uh, touching and very serious on the radar, if you will, uh, of the American people uh, dealing with uh, domestic violence. Uh, He currently uh, serves as vice president for public policy on the national network to end domestic violence, and uh, we're going to get into that, uh, Ms. Legrand, a little bit later. Uh, but we're also going to go into what you have seen uh, in Washington through your years of, of being there. we uh, we said, said before on Spotlight on Capitol Hill is that there's a negative reflection or negative perception, if you will, uh, that, the, that the media at times will give uh, congressmen and senators. You don't hear a lot of positive things in most cases. It's something that may be controversial, something that may be – uh, yeah, and it's, a, it's very short-lived. It's not any long period of time to address anything that's positive for the most part. Uh, Spotlight on Capitol Hill is about one thing, and that is shining the light on members of Congress, people in the Washington, D.C. area, people who have done things, who have impacted not only Washington, but because of the policies and the things that uh, members of Congress do, the things that the, their efforts, their passions, uh, it, it trickles definitely down uh, to the entire uh, United States of America, and uh, th- that was the whole purpose. And you have had an opportunity and, a, and, and have been uh, so honored to work with uh, some of the members of Congress, and one point I'd like to point out, and I'd like you to share with our listeners in regards to the really uh, heart-driven concern of members of Congress that you witnessed personally, dealing with criminal justice reform, dealing with over dealing with... Uh, our prison population being what, the, what it is, what would you say, from your experience, are the things that are really important to the members of Congress that you've had the opportunity to work with, and how really committed are they to bringing about change regarding uh, this this topic?
0: on, thank you so much for asking uh, that question. I, I have to tell you that uh, during my last uh, two years on Capitol Hill with the House Judiciary Committee, I uh, witnessed uh, something that, uh, frankly, I wondered if I would ever witness in in my life, and that was the uh, concern on the part of members of Congress uh, from both sides of the aisle um, and and, uh, folks from various uh, advocacy organizations representing the left, the center, and the extreme right coming to the realization that... The last five decades uh, of, of uh, tough on crime, lock them up and throw away the key. Uh, if you don't do the, if you can't do the crime, don't do the time. Uh, this sort of uh, hardened attitude toward uh, crime and, and the response to crime. Members are realizing that those last five decades really haven't achieved what they thought it would achieve. And instead, what has happened is that we have ruined lives, we've ruined families and communities. We've um, we've also uh, had overcrowded prisons. You know, most of the people in the country don't realize that the United States leads the world in prison population. That is, we have more people incarcerated in this country than in uh, other countries that you would typically think of as being oppressive, Russia, uh, China, uh, you name them. We lead the world in that. And all of these people being locked up, it hasn't achieved what we wanted to achieve. Right? Um, and too many of the people who are locked up are first-time nonviolent drug offenders. And so what I've witnessed over the last two years, in the House Judiciary Committee, they formed the overcriminalization task force because they realized the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. We needed to take a look. The members wanted to take a look at our criminal justice system and really get a deep sense of what is wrong and where we need to begin to make improvements. And this has not only happened on the House side, but it's also on the Senate side as a result of the work of the House Judiciary Committee's over criminalization task force. Um, earlier this year, Congressman Jim Sensenbrenner and Congressman Bobby Scott, Republican and Democrat respectively, introduced a bill called the Safe Justice Act, which calls for a number of reforms. And um, more recently, on the Senate side, a uh, bipartisan group of senators led by Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley and this assistant Democratic leader Dick Durbin were among uh, the senators who introduced the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act of 2015. Both pieces of legislation are intended to begin to address the five decades that I've referenced, begin to talk about sentencing reform, begin to talk about, you know, alternatives to incarceration, you know, to begin to relieve the 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 emotional and social and financial stress that locking people up has caused us. Absolutely. And I got to tell you that uh, not only is this happening at the federal level, but it's also happening at the state level. There is an initiative called the Justice Reinvestment Initiative, which is funded by the Department of Justice and uh, one of its private partners, I believe it's a Foundation. Approximately 30 states are involved in this, looking at alternatives to incarceration and understanding that the one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work. And by that I mean, someone commits an offense, you bring them into custody. What we've done in the last five years is simply lock people up without bothering to determine whether there's an underlying issue. All right, and by underlying issue, I'm saying is there a substance abuse problem? If there is, then that person needs to go to drug court and be, you know, receive treatment. Right. Is there a mental illness problem? Is there post-traumatic stress syndrome? All right, what we've done. Years and years to simply lock people up without bothering to ask that question. And because we don't ask that question, they're not diagnosed because they're not diagnosed, they're not treated. They spend years incarcerated and then they're released, still not diagnosed, still untreated. And so what happens? They're going to reoffend because if there was an underlying issue, it was never treated. That's something that's encouraging to me. And I, I got to tell you, you know, there was a time that I only would have expected something like this to be supported by the more liberal side of Congress, largely Democrats. But now we're seeing folks left, right, and center on board working together. Did you hear me? Working together and and making, you know, introducing this legislation. And there are some differences between the two bills, and I'm sure there are going to be more bills but what's encouraging to me is that people and are that moving in the right direction in terms in of criminal justice reform. And, at some, and point, at some point folks are gonna sit, sit down, down, down with these these two two more bills all to come. And they're gonna and they're going to hammer it out, they're gonna go in conference, they're gonna work it out. Yeah. And I and, and I, I believe, believe that, that there will be there will some be meaningful uh legislation, legislation that, that will uh, will uh have, have of truly truly achieving. Achieving reforming our criminal justice system. You know, we all we have to ask ourselves ask you know, where someone question. is accused is of committing a crime a, and maybe it's maybe not a violation a of law. criminal law. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's administrative, maybe it's regulatory. Is that in a sense that is that deserving of term? incarceration or should of the punishment? Maybe a maybe. fine perhaps perhaps a crime. All right, we right. have people who are doing time and time, time for, for regulatory offenses. offenses. Uh, when, uh, you, know, you know, perhaps a fine uh, would, would have been the more appropriate response. response. Looking, right, looking right, at the prison population, we've got approximately 200,000 200, 200, 200, incarcerated people in the federal system, system. system. And more than and half more of them are in public are are in, offenses, and the majority are talking 90%, 90% are first-time offenders. And then we have the issue of mandatory minimums. All right, all right, which have so taken so away discretion on the part of judges, part of which don't which allow don't judges know, to look at the particular individual, individual look at the, the facts case, of that case, case and make an a, a a independent, independent assessment, assessment based, based on that. that. No, we've taken discretion away from the judges, and we've said if you committed this offense and you know they do some kind of calculation that determines the weight and the purity, uh, regardless of the fact that you may have only been a mule, a carrier, you're going to get mandatory minimum of 10 years. That's, that's not right. We deserve no, better than that. We're a better country than that.
2: No, absolutely. And I remember being in Washington, uh, we had an opportunity to sit in on a couple of hearings, uh, and I believe it was Congressman uh, Bobby Scott, uh, if I'm not mistaken on that, uh, that uh, was actually doing the initiative for uh, uh, minimum, uh, rec- uh, mandatory minimum. He was very outraged, if I remember him correctly, very upset uh, in regards yes, to this type of uh, 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 keeping people in prison and, and throwing them in there and not even thinking twice about doing it. And I think your point, uh, uh, Mr. LeGrand, is, is, is taken very, very seriously. Uh, that this is something that because it is such a hot topic, it is such an issue in this country uh, right now, because people do not feel that true justice is occurring in America. They believe no. that there are other motives, there are other agendas uh, that are, are going to this. And when it, becomes, when it becomes your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your husband, your wife, that is locked behind uh, the walls of incarceration, uh, people are talking now Because it's starting to hit home And I think that's so very important To that point Mr. Legrand Let me ask you in regards to um, We've had an opportunity of course To be speaking in regards to solitary confinement A lot of things going on on Capitol Hill Fighting solitary confinement uh, Calling solitary confinement Inhumane uh, We did a show on this program uh, The 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 uh, Cries of solitary confinement The people that have suffered I mean, serious harm as a result of being locked up in solitary confinement. Um, and that goes to my point in regards to, to the BOP director, Charles Samuels, um, who basically uh, was was told and asked by Congressman uh, Cory Booker in regards to solitary confinement. And Director Samuels, th- th- to be very blunt with you, blatantly lied and said it doesn't exist. And an outrage, of course, happened after that. We had prisoners talking about, wait a minute, I'm in solitary confinement. What is he talking about? Your thoughts, Miss LeGrand, on solitary confinement, the harm that is done not only to those that have suffered through that type of harm. I know Congress is talking about it and have been. What are your thoughts on solitary confinement, and how must we change that?
0: <laughs> the only rationale that I can see for anyone <clears throat> Excuse me, being uh, subjected to solitary confinement is for the safety of that individual. And I think that that should only be a temporary measure. I mean, if you've got someone who is incarcerated and it is, for some reason, that person's safety is in question, then yeah, you put them in solitary confinement, but then you seek to relocate that person. All right? Um, And if need be, we. Relocate them entirely out of that facility, but yeah. you know, you know, the Eighth Amendment prohibits cruel and unusual punishment, and that's what solitary confinement is. Yeah. I can't think of any reason to to put someone in solitary confinement for an extended period of time. It, it just makes no sense to me.
2: And if if you know this, uh, Miss LeGrand, if you didn't know this, there are places and prisons, state and federal, where folks have been in solitary confinement for three years, five years, all the way up to 15 years, 20 years. We've heard those type of stories. And that, as, as you said, if, if it's something that somebody's trying to harm themselves, it, you take them there as a temporary, let's get him under control, and then let's. what's the next step? Not to get him under control and throw him away there. Uh, that doesn't fix the problem, not by any means. And uh, That's right. I agree, I agree with you on that point. And, and Congress again seems to be addressing um, uh, that issue as well. Um, and well, I want point, to go
0: one step further with you on on solitary confinement. Perhaps the the worst example that we know of occurred uh, in Louisiana in the Angola State uh, Penitentiary, where you had three men called the Angola Three. Robert King, Albert Woodfox, and Herman Wallace were put in solitary confinement. And let's see, Robert King spent 29 years. Did you hear me? 29 years. Yeah. In solitary confinement. All right. Uh, The other gentleman spent uh, equal amounts of time and even more. I think Robert King was the first to be released. Herman Wallace Spent even more time in And uh, To the point that Amnesty International uh, A couple of years ago Called for Herman's release And Congressman John Conyers, Congressman Bobby Scott And uh, some other members of Congress Were among those who uh, uh, Advocated For the release of the Angola 3 And Herman Wallace Now, Herman Wallace And then these gentlemen, while they were in solitary confinement, did not get the kind of medical attention or medical care they needed. By the time they looked at Herman Wallace, he was about 71 years old, he was diagnosed with advanced liver cancer. Right. Did you hear me? He was diagnosed with advanced liver cancer. Uh, He was finally released uh, in October of 2013, And there's this this state's attorney down there who blocked every attempt to release these gentlemen. Herman was released October 1st, 2013, pursuant to a federal uh, judge's order. The state's attorney re-indicted him a couple of days later, all right, after he was released. Uh But Herman died three days after he was released.
4: Well, he died. and, Mr. LeGrand, we actually, um, we used to do a segment called, you know, the exoneree moment. And, and Herman Wallace was our first exoneree moment. We had a couple of people who fought for uh, for his freedom. Uh, we actually <laughs> spoke on the show. And it shows you the sickness of the system that you, you keep a man in solitary confinement for, you know, basically 30 years. And right. then you say he's terminally ill, let let's uh you know, every everyone says he needs to be released and then the culture of the system there where he was incarcerated. When when that uh state's attorney said no, we want to put him back in it, it shows the sickness of the culture and the American incarceration system that we should be ashamed to tell any other nation that this is the best uh the best system in the world because you see so many shortcomings, you see so many uh even beyond that, so many blatant laws being broken, uh human rights issues that are being violated that we cannot uh consciously say that this is the best this is the best incarceration system in the world. It it has failed on so many levels, needs to be revamped and former uh attorney general Holder Even before the nation stood and said we have too many people who are sitting in prison for no good law enforcement reason. And then, uh, you know, to to go back to the the point of Director Samuel's statement to say that the U.S. Bureau of Prisons does not and has never used solitary uh, confinement is a slap in the face. Uh, uh, to the intelligence and the integrity of the american people and all of the all of us who have gone to a poll and voted and said that this is this is the will of the people by the people and for the people to, to me in my opinion it was a slap in the face to us all for him to make that statement and, uh, you know, personally, I would like to see his his prior statements brought back before Congress weighed against that one and say, OK, at what point, when were you lying to Congress when you told us that it did not exist or you told us that you used it for specific reasons? But it's those things that, um, you know, we have seen members of Congress fighting for this reform, for, for prison uh, the reform for uh, sentencing, and it it just uh, really gives you a good feeling to know that there are people in Congress like you that you know your your role behind the scenes and and on the right hand of of uh, the different committees that you supported. Um, our our hat is off to you because it is no small undertaking to be there to ensure that what they do from a legal aspect is right, and also uh, from a moral aspect to continue to push to To have what is right done, and, and we we appreciate it, especially yeah. as, a, as a just cause. You know, we feel that, um, you know, like I said, our hat is off to you for the things that you've done. Absolutely, thank you, thank you.
2: And and and, and, and Mr. LeGrand, uh, to the next issue, I'd like to get your viewpoint on. Uh, I believe the push for criminal justice reform, for criminal judicial reform, prison, all of these things that folks are talking about now. I believe. It became a major hot topic as a result of the events that have happened over the last several months in America, and that is the Eric Gardner killing uh, by police officers in New York City, Michael Brown being shot down, uh, shot to death by Officer Wilson, uh, and Walter Scott being killed. Uh, The names go on. Trayvon Martin's injustice that his family has suffered as a result of a rogue uh, neighborhood watch, uh, racist, in my opinion. Uh, these things have sparked major concerns by the American people, and I believe by Congress. Your Great. thoughts? The pattern of killing, not not accidental deaths, not some. Oh, this happened. To, we're talking about, in my opinion, murder by law enforcement. What are your thoughts on bringing the law enforcement back together with community and demanding change as this continues to be a trend of a, of of murder? This is a serial uh, of killings. What are your thoughts on
0: that? There's definitely got to be, and I, I think that the um, Department of Justice's study on uh, what happened in Ferguson is a good example of of. Law enforcement going unchecked in in Ferguson, it was more than just law enforcement. It was the the entire, uh, well, the majority of the uh, uh, the folks who were put in place to to govern and lead that city. Uh, you know, we had gotten away from uh, community policing. We had gotten away from uh, police developing a Cooperative working relationship with members of the community that they are sworn to protect and, and serve, um, and you know I think we're moving. Uh, these these events that you you've cited have really outraged everybody, not just folks in the black community, but everybody, because anyone can say you know it can happen to me, it can happen to mine I and so I'm not gonna just stand by and watch this happen to one segment of society and one community. It can easily happen anywhere else. Um I'm 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 pleased to see young people being active, the the black lives matter. Uh, when I look at what's going on, when I look at the rallies I'm not just seeing black faces, I'm seeing a diversity of of faces. And I think that that's what we need to to have in order to get the attention of our elected officials, of our civic leaders. Everybody's got to understand that they've got some skin in the game. If their lives could literally be at stake because all it takes is one poorly trained police officer which is another issue.
2: Sure. You know,
0: I want to look at, you know, how are these police officers trained? We've seen some instances in which some of these police officers who were involved in these incidents, this isn't the first time. Or maybe they left another uh, police department because of, of uh, excessive force and violence, and they were able to get on to another. Where's the background investigation? Right. where is the, the the diligence in making sure that the, these people who will put on a uniform and carry a firearm really have the mental and emotional capacity and stability that's needed to interact and to you know work with people of of those backgrounds I, I, i'm i'm curious as to what kind of training the officers who were involved in these incidents, what kind of training did they go through? I know that when I uh, became a special agent with the Drug Enforcement Administration back in the 70s, I went through very extensive background investigation. They interviewed everyone I had gone to school with, people I had grown up with, people who were my neighbors, to make sure that I was fit to carry the badge and wear a gun and then put me through some very rigorous physical and mental training Now this is back in the 70s I'm hopeful that the training's even more rigorous now, four decades later
2: no absolutely and I think the I think what's your point uh Ms. LeGrand is is clear this outrage is is trickling down like you said every it it is crossed racial lines when you see blatant murder blatant death and I think I I made the statement before when it comes to police officers you know there was a time that I remember uh uh tasers uh as an alternative to killing somebody. And they asked Officer Woodson where was his belt with his pepper spray and his tail oh I didn't feel like putting it on that day. So you leave self nothing but one alternative if confronted with a conflict and that is death. That is murder. Then that is pre in my opinion, premeditated murder.
0: Which goes back <laughs> again to the training because if you're trained properly you know that you don't go out of that precinct or, or whatever your office is without being fully equipped. I bet you they put on their bulletproof vest. No, I'm sure of that. <laughs> I know they don't leave without their firearm, oh
2: so I, why they not leave. take your
0: taser or your pepper spray and your pepper spray, spray. yeah, and now I, now yeah. we've got the police worn body cameras, which I think is a good thing. Right. I think it's a very good thing. I think that it is one more thing that will uh go to accountability that will make everyone aware that they're on camera. Now, this is new technology and the policies are are still being developed. I know that. All right. But what I've said to folks, uh be involved in the conversation in your local with your local police department. Make your voice heard, all right? Because there are a lot of issues, there are a lot of questions that need to be addressed with these body-worn cameras. But I think that they're good. And the Justice Department has made, I think it's somewhere in the area of $20 million available to state and local police departments for the purchase of body cameras,
2: no, and and yeah. So uh, you know what? I know there was something. There was actually we found, uh, Mr. LeGrand. Some states actually opposing and 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 passing laws forbidding the implementation of body cameras.
0: Which I, I can't. I can't imagine why.
2: And, and the only reason, the only thing I can think of that leads me to to believe, is that the corruption has gone so high. That a, uh, I say this all the time on this program That when culture is implemented It is iron brass It's very difficult to change it okay. I, believe, I believe That the culture In police departments across this country Have developed Such a stronghold Of inappropriate conduct Not all of them But some of them have incorporated That at such a high level it is almost impossible, at least in their viewpoint, we're not going to change that. And for the fact, like you said, to, for people to abo- oppose the implementation, and you've got legislators, state legislators, opposing such a thing goes to the bad condition that America is in right now and the mindset that America is in right now. So uh, that, that's definitely to your point. Well, I'd like to, if we can, uh, go into what you are currently doing Right now, as, as I alluded to earlier regarding domestic violence, which is such a
0: huge
2: uh, uh, challenge in battle to be fought, and no one better to lead the helm of, of that situation than you, in my opinion. Give us your thoughts on, on what you're doing right now, what your role is, and the importance of, of what you're doing now as you have moved to this next challenge in your life.
0: Thank you. Thank you. While I was still counsel with the House Judiciary Committee, um, I I had a number of legislative issues, sexual abuse, stalking, dating violence, human trafficking. And then in the end of 2010, beginning of the year 2011, I uh, inherited uh, domestic violence as an issue. I inherited it from a friend of mine who... uh, Departed from the House Judiciary Committee And that went back to the ACLU Which he had uh, previously been And at that time The Violence Against Women Act Which was initially passed in 1994 And it was introduced by the way uh, It was authored by our current Vice President Joe Biden When he was U.S. Senator and Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Um, the Violence Against Women Act was passed in 1994, 95, and um, every five years, this legislation, and uh, along with others, needs to be reauthorized. It, it's passed and it, it has what's called an authorization, and the authorization expires roughly every five years, and by that it just means that uh, there's certainly grants programs, funding that needs to be reinstated, but it's also an opportunity to look at the existing legislation and see if there are ways of improving it, making it stronger, making it better, making it more inclusive. And so uh, the Violence Against Women Act actually expired in uh, I believe it was 2011. And we began meeting with uh, a number of advocacy organizations, including the one that I'm currently with, the National Network to End Domestic Violence. And over the period of a year and a half, almost two years, we worked on reorganization, and there were some things that we wanted to do to improve it. We wanted to improve improve it by making sure that tribal women were uh, covered. Uh, And by that I mean that prior to this law being passed uh, and signed into law in 2013 as a result of our efforts, prior to that if a tribal woman was assaulted beaten, raped on tribal land by a non-tribal man tribal authorities had no jurisdiction over him. Mm -hmm. Can you believe that? Wow. Tribal authorities had no jurisdiction Alright oh, I didn't know that When We also wanted to make sure That members of the LGBTQ Community mm-hmm. Would be covered and able To receive any services Or benefit from any of the Programs under this legislation Right. And finally, we wanted to make sure that immigrant women who already had a number of protections, that they were able to retain those protections. You know, sometimes a woman from another country sees an ad, you know, the, the mail-order bride, whatever you want to call them, and she's attracted to to what this guy, this U.S. citizen is saying, all right, and she wants to come over and... and hopefully have a better life. But she finds out that the guy is a monster. He's abusive. He's beating her. He's enslaving her. All right? We wanted to make sure that, that a woman in that position had the protections, was able to seek the help of law enforcement without fear of being deported because that's one of the things that the abuser would do. He would say to her, you either take this abuse or I'm going to send you back. Right. Wow. And that's what he would hold over her head. And so too often women would just stay because they felt they had no no alternative, which was not the case. But you get someone who is very persuasive. He's telling her that that is the case. Going back sure. to the tribal, All right? Wow. When we signed, when we were there to sign, to, to watch... President Obama signed the Violence Against Women Act reauthorization into law in March of 2013. There's a tribal woman on stage with him, along with other advocates. And the woman came forward and she said that she had married a, a, a white male. And for the first six months, it was like a honeymoon. And then almost as if you flip the switch, he became abusive. And he became really abusive. And on some occasions, after beating her, and they lived on the tribal land, he would pick up the phone, dial the tribal police, give her the phone and say, here, tell them what I just did to you. And she would tell them as best she could. Now, you got to remember, she's just been smacked around quite a bit. Right. And the response that she would get on the other side of the phone is, "Sorry, Miss, there's nothing we can do." Well, wow. what is that? How can that be? Well, we've addressed that now. We we're able to address it with, you know, notwithstanding a lot of opposition by some members of Congress. What I'm going to tell you is that working with the National Network and Domestic Violence and the other organizations. I saw their passion, their commitment, their determination to get this legislation passed. And one of the things that impressed me, Lamont, is that if I'm in a room with 30 or 40 advocacy groups and they're really representing different interests, some are representing tribal, some are representing LGBT, some are representing immigrants, some are representing something else, they came in at the beginning of these conversations with a commitment that they were going to stay together. They were not going to allow themselves to be divided, all right, and kicked off. So, you know, the the immigrant folks weren't going to say, Well, we're gonna go we'll we'll give you what you want if, and and we don't care about tribal. No, they didn't do that. They all stayed together and they took it an all or nothing posture. All right? That inspired me. It really did. And you know the other thing that bothered me is that, again, in these meetings that I convened of the advocacy groups, too often I was the only guy in the room of 30, 40, 50 people. Oh, wow. And that, I couldn't understand why. It suggested that maybe some felt that domestic violence is a quote-unquote woman's issue, which, of course, it is not. Right. But, you know, between just what I learned Working on the legislation And wanting to be One of the men And there are men who are working on this Wanting to be One of the guys Who is saying This cannot happen Real men don't beat women and children Love should never hurt That's why I came on to The National Network to end Domestic Violence And I gotta tell you I started on May 1st And I am thrilled to be here I love it I love to work. I'm happy that I'm
2: here. Well, I'll tell you what. If I was in a domestic violence situation and knew and was in search for someone that can change status quo, if you will, of this particular society issue, uh, I would not want anyone else but Ron LeGrand at the helm. Thank you. Of, uh, thank you. Of, uh of doing that. I, I think that's wonderful. And uh ladies and gentlemen of America, we're talking to Ron Legrand, a champion, if you will, of justice, of human kindness, of human decency, of uh, legislative um uh, levels of of importance. And, and and Ron LeGrand has shown that and continues in his work to make an impact, again, not only of the Washington, D.C. area, but this particular item, uh, not only what he's already done, but when you're talking about domestic violence, believe me, I guarantee it is not limited to a state or a city. It goes to every state, every city, every county, every neighborhood. And tonight, I just cause... Uh, a j c radio salutes ron legrand and miss legrand uh the last item that we will discuss that I think is of huge importance um and we we you and I have had the opportunity during our trips to washington with lisa and cliff and uh we've had an opportunity to discuss uh of course the i r p six which we've met mm-hmm. we've talked about them the huge injustice that is that has happened to these men. Uh, and we fight for justice uh, For these men uh, That would be Gary Walker, David Banks Dave Zappolo Kendrick Barnes, Clint Stewart And Demetrius Harper uh, The IRP6 And, and we, we, we always salute them on this program The show is dedicated to them As we fight for justice And I see here on your Resume if you will I'll use that terminology of your history it says that uh, you served on the Subcommittee on Crime, Terrorism, Homeland Security, and Investigations. I ask this question to you now, and we'll get into this dialogue. ISIS is a threat to the United States of America. We have senators and congressmen that have appeared on this show have stated there are sales. I believe it was Congressman Sensenbrenner that said they have confirmed there are sales for ISIS in every One of the 50 states in America As we Look at ISIS That threatens the homeland uh, Yet we have the IRP6 Who sit uh, in federal prison Who actually hold the key To making that Less of an actual event That would happen Because of their dedication And their uh, heroism to America And their patriotism to America As we sit back and look at the stories, the reports of ISIS, the, the folks in America being converted, if you will, or recruited to this terrorist network. What are your thoughts, given your experience on the Subcommittee on Crime, Terrorism, Homeland Security, and Investigations? What, are, what is America facing right now? And then, second part of that question how important it is, is that we set something in place to attempt. To free the men that have come up with a solution to fix that problem, your thoughts on that?
0: Well, yeah, you've, you've said it. Um, ISIS, uh, ISIS is is such a threat. We thought that Al Qaeda was a threat. ISIS has has overshadowed Al Qaeda, in my right. opinion.
3: Yes, they ISIS, have
0: has succeeded in in infiltrating our country in terms of infiltrating the minds of some of our citizens in ways that I never imagined possible i I heard something a news item a week or so ago that talked about the number of of people recruited to join ISIS. From other countries, and the number, as I recall, of, of U.S. citizens who have been recruited is uh, slightly less than 300. If I recall that number correctly, um, it's amazing that people would would leave this country to go over there and and destroy the country that they were born in, destroy the country that that affords them rights and privileges. That can't be found anywhere else it, 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 I'm baffled by it Frankly um, As far as the The IRT 6 uh, Lamont you and I have talked About this case and, and as a Former federal prosecutor um, I'm I'm really hurt I'm really really disappointed At how this case Was handled First of yes. all this seems to me that, that if there was a case at all It was a civil case Right If there was a case if And it's a big if If there was a case at all It was a civil case And should have been handled such Which again goes back to Over criminalization you know? Right It's it's, it's The over criminalization Effort Both the House and the Senate One of the things It is doing and is intended to do is to force our government, force the Justice Department to look at cases and ask the question is there is this a civil or criminal cause of action?
6: Exactly.
0: you got to ask that question at the outset. Uh, I think former Attorney General Eric Holder had it right. He talked about being smart on crime. Mm -hmm. He reached out to his federal prosecutors and told them, hey, look, you don't have to load up an indictment. You don't have to go for a grand slam. You know, be reasonable, be fair-minded, understand what justice is about. We've lost that. Yeah. I got to tell you that, and I understand how it can happen, because I understand that too often, you know, investigators, agents are judged on the number of cases they initiated. Mm-hmm. And prosecutors may be judged or may have been judged by the number of cases they indict and the number of defendants are in that indictment and the number of years, the number of convictions and the number of years of incarceration. We've got a whole mindset that needs to be changed. Right, and it's it's it's, it's not going to happen overnight, unfortunately. But it needs to begin, and it needs to begin now. And it's really a time for the true leaders in this country to stand up, be seen, and be heard.
2: Absolutely, to lead.
0: That's what we need. The if I may, I want to I want to say a few more things about the national network and domestic violence. Sure. Okay um, I haven't told you Or our audience What NNEDV is But we represent The 56 state and territorial Domestic violence coalitions We're uh, In many respects the advocacy um, Of the Domestic violence coalitions Here in the Capital of the United States We work with members of Congress To To
5: uh,
0: on legislation such as the violence against women act as I talked about recently but we also do more than that. I mean we're talking about domestic violence survivors very often what keeps a a victim in an abusive situation and you know there are often times where people hear about an abusive situation and they ask why does she stay right or maybe she left but she went back and they say why does she go back Got to understand that this is about control, and there are a number of ways in which that abuser can control someone, and one of them is financial. Mm -hmm. Okay, one of them is financial, And, and there's also housing. But what we do is working with our coalitions, we make sure that domestic violence survivors. Get the necessary training and information that they need in order to lead independent lives independent lives free of abuse so we have a strong economic empowerment and financial literacy um, program for domestic uh, violence survivors Um, we work on improving uh, media coverage of domestic violence cases and we educate survivors and others about the state uh, safe, techno- uh, safe technology You know, media and technology Can be powerful tools They can also be powerful weapons of abuse And we work with domestic uh, uh, abuse victims To make sure that If they're going to use the internet, for example That they do so in ways that protect them Ways that are safe I just wanted to, to share that with you. and If people want to know more about the, the National Network and Domestic Violence, they can go online at org.
2: No, absolutely. Thank you for that. Thank no, you for no, that. No, no worries on that, Ron. That's very important. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you may be in a domestic violence situation tonight across America. Uh, I would uh, recommend that you reach out uh, to the organization uh, that uh, Ron LeGrand has just stated. And Ron, what's that? How can they? What web, uh, email, or websites can they go to to get further information or to reach out to your organization?
0: The uh, website for NNEDV is NNEDV dot org. Our main number in Washington is two zero two five four three five five six six. But I also want to give you another number. And I'm looking for it now The Domestic Violence Hotline Okay And um, they are A uh, number that is called uh, Frequently um, 800-799-7233 Again, eight yeah. hundred seven nine nine seven two three three. 800-799-7233 You can also look Up the Domestic Violence Coalition in your specific state and they can also help you. But again, feel free to reach out to us at NNEDV we'll call the number that I've mentioned and we'll be glad to be of assistance.
6: Okay.
2: And Ron, we will post that information on AJCRadio.com uh, for the listeners. Uh, they'll have access to, to get that. Um, this is absolutely remarkable. Uh, and uh, I believe one point, uh, uh, Ms. Legrand, that Cliff had in regards to the uh, issue we just discussed in regards to the IRP-6, and I think it's a brief uh, question, but we're going to have you answer that, and then we're going to go ahead and wrap you up so you can go have lunch and do whatever it is that you do because uh, you've been so gracious mm-hmm. to give, the time that you've given, and we are very, very uh, honored that you've done that. Cliff, what's your question for Ms. Legrand?
4: Well, if uh, I know you made the statement about – Uh, You know, if this was if this was any case at all, that it would have been a civil matter. And just as a matter of information uh, for the listeners out there that and and you as well, Mr. LeGrand, that the FBI actually sent a letter to one of the complainants in this case and said we that this is a civil issue and we suggest you (laughs) take it up in a civil court. And the the part that gets me, you know, and I and I, I, uh, I, I worked at IRP Solutions, and um, you know, I was there when this software was being built. And the part that really gets me about that is that then the judge in the situation, this uh, Judge Christine Arguello in the Tenth Circuit, does not take this information. That was that was sent by the FBI Saying this is a civil matter Deal with it properly The judge does not ensure that the Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kerr That he deals with it In the proper manner At this point when you're saying Okay the FBI who is supposed to be Doing this investigation on this company Has come back and said this is a civil issue And one arm mm-hmm. of the FBI Is not communicating with the other arm And then you have this whole issue That's blown out of proportion um and and these men end up in in prison wrongfully and you have the solution and not not just something that somebody says hey you know I'm going to build something and see who likes it this the the software that irp solutions built was built from requirements by Department of Homeland Security now I mean, everybody who's done little bit of research who's heard any uh anything about the reasons that 9-11 was able to happen the reason that the attack on our homeland was able to happen was because of the lack of communication by these federal law enforcement agencies so the department of homeland security was brought about to say hey you guys everybody communicate get one system get a consolidated system that obviously is secure i know uh you know, we don't want to just have a database that somebody can hack out there and get all of our law enforcement information, um, you know, out wherever in the world. But this is a secure, encapsulated system by all federal law enforcement that DHS said this is what we need. And when when it was broad P solutions and they, they fit the bill and came back and did the customizations, and then to, to um, have Homeland Security say, look, what you have looks good. We want to stem this software up. What will it take? A uh, quote is given to DHS, and then two weeks later, the FBI raids the business. And then, after the raid, tells one of the complainants, oh, no, this is a civil matter. You should take it up as a civil issue. But it goes to your point that these are the type of situations that, when left unchecked, when, left, when they, they get out of hand, and when the culture of uh like the the Denver US attorney's office when the office when the culture is left to just say we do what we want to behind closed doors that is where the abuse of the American people come in and that is where we see the overcriminalization we see the need for sentencing reform we see the the need for uh basically a review and an investigation by uh you know DOJ to say what is going on in the in the uh, in the federal courts that these type of situations, these type of uh, quote-unquote cases can lead to men being uh, incarcerated for 7 to 11 years. It makes absolutely no sense, and uh, like you say, we have to keep pushing to get something done about situations like this.
0: Yeah, That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, and and Mr. LeGrand, uh, I didn't know you were in the modeling uh, business. (laughs) uh, We see here... That uh, the uh, 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 2009 edition of Who Who Who's Who in the Black <laughs> see it was recognized uh, by the Hill newspaper in 2012 as one of Capitol Hill's 50 most beautiful people. <laughs> uh, you <wouldn't... laughs> I had no idea, man. We we have to have a fashion show of some sort when you get here. Uh, uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, okay, you give Amazing. us a few,
4: give us a few words on that <laughs> on, if you can.
2: Being nominated as the fifty most beautiful people there in our nation's capital.
0: Well, I gotta tell you, when, when the person called me, I thought it was a crank call. Honestly. Right. I thought it was a crank call. Uh you know, the gentleman identified himself. I said, Where are you calling from? He, he told me again. I said, Give me an email address and a phone number and uh uh Uh, He didn't give me a bogus email address And the the phone number Worked so I said okay tell me what this Is all about and you know what I I Was aware of the fact that the hill Did this but you know never In my life did I ever (laughs) expect That that, 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 This this would come to me It was a Uh, lot of fun but you know what I tell people that I hope that, that the folks Who nominated me And voted for me on that You know voted more on on my character, right and and what they believe I am, the person they, 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 what they see in me as opposed to any external superficial factor. Uh, you know we know that beauty comes from within, and I, all I can say is that i I do my best every day to to do right by people. to to make a a positive difference in the lives of of as many people as as I can, whether I can touch them directly or or indirectly. And so I hope that that's where that came from.
2: No worries on that, uh, Mr. LeGrand. And uh, if that's not the definition of beautiful, I don't know what is. And that is about impacting a life and making a difference, and you you definitely uh, uh, fit the mold for that, and we appreciate that. Well, thank you. Uh, thank and, uh, you. Ladies and gentlemen of America, Ron LeGrand, who gave us uh, this time today, I'm sure as he is fighting for ending domestic violence, uh, it was a huge step that he took time out of his day uh, to join Agency Radio, that we felt it necessary to shine the spotlight on Capitol Hill, I believe, on a legend, uh, a hero, and one that is uh, one of human kindness to touch a nation. And that is Ron LeGrand, and we appreciate that tonight. And uh, ladies and gentlemen of America, November, uh, in the month of November, uh, we have the honor and the privilege, not us personally, but we actually advocate for communities and community organizations that come out um, who are trying to bring communities together, and that would be Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, uh, uh, Mr. Ron Legrand will be joining uh, the, the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church for a "Let's Talk" uh, forum that is sponsored by Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church and Pastor Rose Banks. And uh, Mr. Legrand has uh, agreed uh, to the church to the to the uh, church for this community event to come out, and that is November seventeenth. Uh, he will be here in Colorado Springs, Colorado, to grace us, uh, and and uh, as we are again, I just as advocates for anything that is pushing things as far as justice, community positive things uh, we were made aware that Colorado Springs Fellowship is doing that and so we send a personal invitation and Ron to anybody there in Washington and surrounding areas media people that you may know uh, feel free to uh, invite them out uh, to take a trip to Colorado Springs because I believe it's well worth the trip wherever you come across this nation to meet such an extraordinary man as Ron LeGrand and then Mr. LeGrand we thank you for that.
0: Lamonte, thank you very much, and I look forward to, to joining you and Mom, um, everyone at, uh Colorado Springs. And let me add also, just so that people know, the October is uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So um, yeah, just just be aware of that, and um, you know, if you get a chance, you know, look up the local Domestic Violence uh, Coalition. Uh, and, and maybe you can volunteer. Maybe you can make a donation. Uh, There's so many people who are hurting and suffering out here. And any small act of kindness that you can do, uh, the local
2: community, will be greatly and,
0: appreciated.
2: And, and Ron, we'll go a step further than that. Uh, we will put together uh, a PSA that goes out to our listeners across the country um, uh, for the monthly, the entire month of October on our show. Uh, we will have a designated statement made regarding Domestic Violence Month in recognition of this, and we will also refer them for uh, in regards to your organization and that you head that organization. We will we will honor that on every program uh, for the month of October as we as we honor uh, Domestic Violence uh, Month. So uh, if that's that's our way of showing and giving back as well, and uh, we'll also put out that donations are available. So thank you so very much. Thank you. God bless you. God bless all. Okay. Take care, Mr. LeGrand. Take care. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Ron LeGrand, uh, a champion on Capitol Hill, one uh, that has uh, and continues to make a difference. Um, And he even stepped further, apparently being motivated by the uh, domestic uh, Democratic Council and the Violence Against Women Reauthorization Act of 2013 is what motivated him to take the head of this organization and do something with it. At least it speaks volumes, doesn't it?
3: It does. I, it does. I think there's a lot that people don't know uh, about uh, domestic violence, and I think it's 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 honorable that he would take such a passionate stand for it. And feels so strongly about taking care of that and making sure that, or doing his best to try to end domestic violence. I mean, it's something that's always been around. It's always been an issue. Uh hasn't always been at the forefront, always been fo- talked about. But it's something that's always been there. And it is, it's is—it's an issue that has to be dealt with. People have to deal with it. And women need to know where to go. They need to have a place to go, know who to talk to. That's thats a difficult thing a lot of times. And it's nice to have something like that with someone like Mr. LeGrand heading it up, just taking, taking charge of it. And uh, just who really cares about what happens to these people.
2: Absolutely. And voted again, uh, uh, you know, Capitol Hill's 50 Most Beautiful People. Uh, we cited it, it a little comical with that. But I think he said it goes to, and I think, Cliff, it speaks not only, I believe they vote him as a beautiful person because of what he does. Not that Ms. LeGrand is not a uh, fairly striking uh, young gentleman uh, because he is that as well. Uh, But as he said, he would hope that it would be because of what he does and how he reaches out uh, in the human spirit to make a difference. And uh, I think that makes a big, big difference. Father of six sons, uh, Ron LeGrand is a devoted community activist and an avid member of several community-based and fraternal organizations. Um, And and Ms. LeGrand holds a bachelor's degree uh, from Boston College. Uh, And he is the father of six sons. Uh, so he is aware of the importance of change and what needs to happen in a place we call America.
6: Right. His his uh,
4: juris doctorate also from uh, from Boston College as well. Uh, you know that's where his uh, his alma mater and uh, his teaching to get him to Capitol Hill to be able to be the counsel for so many of those committees there that he he dedicated 30 years of his life. Oh. I mean that's a that's a long time and he ha- he isn't finished yet. Uh, Like you said, he's he's the public uh, policy president for the National Network to End Domestic Violence, uh, uh, championing that cause, and uh, you can only commend
2: him for it. Well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's That's the whole heart of Mr. Ron LeGrand, and we've just touched briefly on it. But tonight we take a moment and shine the light on a legend and a humanitarian that is impacting America. We shine the light on Ron LeGrand making a difference across this nation. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we find ourselves as a nation at a crossroad of decision. The decision that must be made in America is a very important one of many. The particular decision we face tonight as a nation is all lives truly matter. There has been an overall rise in the death and unexplained death of men, women, and children behind prison walls in our country. This is not only repulsive, it is unacceptable and can no longer be tolerated. We have prison officials in federal prisons, state prisons, that give excuse and make up reasons to deceive the American people. Do you have a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a friend, a child, behind prison walls in America today. If you do, please be very careful to hear what I'm about to say. The suicide rate in our prisons has quadrupled over the years. The unexplained deaths of our citizens and the never-ending words that suicide was the cause of death has won its course our latest victim of such deception is Michael Anderson from the Colorado uh, Federal Prison ADX camp in Canyon City Colorado. Prison officials stated unequivocally that Michael Anderson took his life but according to the family there were bruises And unexplained cuts on the face and the mouth of Michael Anderson. It casts serious doubt on the cause of death. Michael Anderson is one of thousands of people that we lose to our system every year. It is time that we ask the questions and we demand for answers. We plead to the President of the United States of America, President Barack Obama. We send a plea out to the Department of Justice, Attorney General, Loretta Lynch. We send a plea to every member of Congress, the House, the Senate, Republican and Democrat to say, not on my watch, will lives continue to be lost? America." It is time that we stand up. As we look for a better tomorrow for our children, our children's children, these young men and women who occupy prison cells in America may have made a bad choice, may have made a bad decision, but if I remember correctly, that doesn't mean a death sentence is necessary. What are we going to do? If you have questions today, or you know of loved ones that are questionably dying behind the wall, and you have suffered this injustice, and you are looking for answers and someone to reach out, please contact the Just Calls today at 1 855 529 4252, extension 710. It is high time in America. That our lives and the lives of our children and of our incarcerated mean something. Let's do the right thing. Ladies and gentlemen, how do we fix the criminal justice system in America? Well, on October 20th, Bernard Carrick, former NYPD commissioner and first responder to 9-11, made an impact on the country appointed by the president for various security issues. He's coming to Colorado Springs October 20th at 7 p.m. at the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, hosted by Pastor Rose Banks, located at 451 Winshine Place. Call today, 719-597-8800. We'll see you there. Bernard Carrick is coming here. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, where tonight we've taken a few moments to reflect on a man, a gentleman, and someone that's making a difference by the name of Ron Legrand. And it has been a privilege tonight, and we give our very special thanks for him joining us and the things uh, Lisa Cliff Jeanette that he is doing down there in Washington uh, is absolutely phenomenal he's making a huge difference uh, and touching the lives of those have to have at least right now uh, that are major victims and a major hot topic in this country is the uh, the cruelty and the, uh, the, uh, the absolutely ridiculous and uh, horror of domestic violence and the, the things that go with that and Uh, Lisa, when you hear him speak on those issues uh, of what he's doing and the passion that he's having, what he's talking about doing that interview, uh, this man has a heart for what's really affecting the American people, and not only with domestic violence, but everything that he saw in Congress in 30 years uh, of working with members of Congress is just over the top, and and, I mean, it's it's something to to, to, to really behold, isn't it?
3: It really is. He's really got a passion for the work that he does, and he works... he seems to have done a lot in his life and worked on a, in a lot of different areas, and which gives him a, a, a wide variety of things that he's able to, to do. And I think what he's doing now is great. What he's done, what he was doing when he was working on, on Capitol Hill, I think everything he's been doing has really been on top of it.
2: Absolutely. Jeanette, your thoughts on Ron LeGrand?
5: Yeah, and as Lisa mentioned earlier, he stands for issues that are not always at the forefront but need to be addressed. Um, Like how he's involved with um, the National Association to Stop Elderly Abuse and Exploitation and the Fraud Against Senior Citizens. I mean, how can this happen in the USA? I mean, we... we we, you have to be a really low human being to abuse an elderly person. Wow. And, and even his stance on prescription drug abuse, that's been an epidemic in this country for way too long. I mean, we're aware of the damage of, of some of what is done because of the fatal overdoses of like, you know, the well-known notable names, Marilyn Monroe, Bruce Lee. People like Elvis, but the reality is, famous or not, no one is immune from stuff like that. Oh, no,
2: absolutely. I agree with that. Cliff, your thoughts on Ron LeGrand as we close out on that segment of the show? Oh, yeah. Just like I stated uh, during the interview, you know, he's a
4: champion for justice, stood by the side at the right hand of uh, so many on the, you know, the, uh, the, all these committees that he dealt with namely the committee on the judiciary subcommittee on crime terrorism homeland security and investigations and there's having not been a counsel to uh you know the house of representatives and, and the uh senate i mean it takes a special person to stay there for all that time uh be willing to go through it really lets you know that he has a heart for the members of Congress and a heart for the American people. That's why, you know, he gave that that much of his life to it, and we
2: commend him for it. Oh, absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, we give our very special thanks to our guest tonight, Ron LeGrand, uh, uh, the Vice President uh, of the uh, uh, National Organization to End Domestic Violence, uh, making a difference. And uh, not only that, his contribution uh, to members of Congress, of the House Judiciary Committee, as well as the U.S. Senate uh, his resume goes on and on and on, but I'll tell you what, uh, everything on there is, uh, abs- absolutely must be respected, and we, we definitely honor Ron LeGrand tonight. On this special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill, Ron LeGrand, thanks for joining us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, we come back, uh, on the other side of this break, what you didn't know about the RP6 story. That's coming next. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. The R.P. 6, David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo and Clinton Stewart have pondered that question for three years. Where is justice? What you didn't know about the IRP-6 case is the question. We will deliver those answers on our new segment, What You Didn't Know About the IRP-6. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers. As justice lays idle in the streets of America, we look for the answer. What you didn't know about the IRP-6 case starts right now.
7: Well, on the morning of a 2005, day of the FBI raid, I remember uh, someone coming in my office saying the FBI was here. And, uh, I thought they were joking possibly, but uh, so, a lot of FBI agents it uh, Just a feeling
8: of shock. Today, it really makes really me, made me angry. angry. I remember uh,
7: being shocked the day, the day it happened. I remember seeing FBI agents running into our building our building chasing down people. Uh, the
6: events uh, of that day are quite clear to me, uh, and it really brings
7: uh, what uh, we realize in this country. Uh, you're guilty until proven innocent. Basically waiting before our morning stand-up meeting every, every morning, morning. And, and, every morning. And, and the commotion of uh, all these agents coming to the door and the door, and you know, basically being ordered around, and and around the to the break the room break without giving any explanation of what's going on or why or who these people were. It took a, actually, I remember it took about a minute or two before they identified themselves as the FBI. Yeah, yeah. The benefit of the doubt was not given to any It was almost, I mean, I want to stand by certain truths about the United States that we I mean, And it was like, from the minute they walked in that door, the way we were treated, we were treated as criminals, so we were treated as, uh, I
9: mean,
7: I, we were treated as if we weren't even Americans. And it, it just shocks you sometimes that uh, when you think back and you realize how authority in the wrong hands can you know really
8: be, can really take away your freedom? We were out there trying to help them, and they just really tried to demoralize us, contributing to the development of a lot, a lot of those a lot. Uh, concepts, and precepts, and architecture and technical uh, framework for the software. When I heard about the RAID, I thought, how, how, how weird is this? How ironic is this? Do they want to? What are they doing? And if they, what is the intent? And if they shut us down, uh, could this be um, purposely done? That we're doing so well to help them that they don't want us to do that?
6: There needs to be some justice in this particular type of situation. And somebody out there knows something uh, on exactly what happened to our company and what what reasoning uh, and what events led somebody to come actually uh, do something so sinister to our company and to try to impede our progress and, and uh, yes we do believe somebody came in there for the express purpose to acquire our software for illegal means uh just on the eve of us uh closing business and having some of the most promising meeting uh to conclude business that we'd ever had in the history of our company there you have
2: it some questions in need for answers lady justice has gone missing Where is she, the R.P. 6, and countless thousands are seeking her out. What you didn't know about the R.P. 6 story to be continued. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Lisa Stewart, and Jeanette Williams, and we now go to the... Portion of the show that asked the question and to inform America what you didn't know about the IRP 6 story. And tonight our focus is that what you didn't know was that IRP attempted to contact Department of Homeland Security contacts. IRP was told that DHS had been informed that the IRP was subject of an investigation. And what you didn't know. They were told not to do business with the IRP 6. And Cliff, if I'm not mistaken on that point, this was what we call blackballing these men. Absolutely. I
4: mean, blackballing, interference with commerce. There's so many different, um, you know, for lack of a better term, so many different accolades that you give that type of activity. I mean, you as a federal prosecutor. As the FBI cannot interfere with Congress, that is not a part of your uh, job description. The FBI is supposed to do investigations. If they're going to do interviews, they can ask, hey, we're here to ask you some questions about your interaction with this company. But for IRP Solutions to be told by by the program manager at DHS that we were in very close uh, working contact with, He was the one delivering the the, um, requirements for the customizations on the Silk software. For him to come back and say, you know what, I have to stop talking to IRP Solutions because the FBI, basically a sister federal uh, agency, has told me not to talk to you, not to have any dealings with you because they're doing an investigation. And the FBI has always, since its inception, used intimidation and fear uh, against the American sure. people. That is how they get their results. So to go to another, to go to a company and say, don't do business with this company, they're in, a, they're in an investigation, and the FBI has told you not to. And then to have the prosecutor, Matthew Kirsch, to go to uh, Philadelphia P- PD and the uh, Office of the Inspector General in Philadelphia and to be asked by them, hey, you know, uh, we're about to do business with this company, IRP Solutions, uh, there's an investigation. Give us some information. And they always do their background, their due diligence. Anytime you're dealing with law enforcement, obviously, they're going to do background. They're going to do due diligence. But what was told to IRP Solutions is that every company at some point typically goes under investigation. That's not an issue. The issue that, that, uh, that happened is one when Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch came back and told Philadelphia that IRP Solutions will be coming under an indictment. You're talking about six months before the grand jury that returned the indictment was even impaneled. And, you know, uh, the the grand jury that returned the indictment, that's what one witness, one FBI agent, and that's another what you didn't know about the IRP Six story. But six months before the grand jury is impaneled, how do you know that the, grand jury the grand jury has is going not to even, come back with that. Correct? How do you know they're going to come back with an indictment? Those are the type of things that you say, OK, you look at that and then uh, I'm sure the audience is out there saying, well, hey, that's got to be against the law. Absolutely. Well, why didn't you take it to the judge? We did take it to the judge. This is Judge Christine Arguello of the of 10th Circuit. And if if anybody doesn't know anything about her now, The the one thing you should know is that this is a judge that's not out for
2: justice this is a this is a judge that has her own agenda well I'll tell you right now the fact ladies and gentlemen of America make no mistake about this point if this happened to the IRP 6 it can happen to you the issue with the IRP 6 is that they were innocent they broke no laws just like a lot of you folks out there and our listeners across this country. You go to work every day, you do your job, you you, you you pay your taxes, you put some pork and beans and hot dogs on the table for your family, perhaps, or whatever meal that you select. But the bottom line is, regardless of all of that, in the course of your day, in a moment, injustice can raise its head. That's what happened, Cliff, Lisa, Jeanette, with the IRP-6. These men were... Uh, were honorable men. They went to work every day. They were fighting to bring a solution to the threat of the homeland of the United States of America, the very blanket and pillow that Mr. Kirsch rests his head on. This is the purpose of what they brought.
5: That's right, Lamont. I mean, it, it's just sick. I mean, I think most Americans just believe that, you know, justice will prevail. That's not the, that's not the case. That's well, what, not the case, and and even Mr. Legrand said earlier he was hurt. He said he felt very hurt by how this case was sure. handled, and and it, because he said it was just another example of over criminalization. Well, but I think anybody who is informed about this particular case and the grave injustice that took place feels exactly the same way, hurt. But also, I feel angry, uh, and there's an unsettled feeling that comes with this because it can happen, like you said, to anyone
2: to anyone and uh you know when you sit back and think about uh and ladies and gentlemen there's a lot of what you didn't know going on across America as it's not as simple as what you see on television or what you read in an article on a newspaper article or report this is what you didn't know. When what you didn't know is that was it legal for a prosecutor to step outside of the role of prosecutor and Basically, blackball someone according to the Constitution of the United States is this: The presumption of innocence lies with it with the defendant. I am presumed innocent. So any business I got going on with the Inspector General uh, in Philadelphia, any b- pending business with the Department of Homeland Security, any of that, I am presumed innocent according to the Constitution of the United States. Lisa, it sounds like that page has been torn from the book of the Constitution.
3: Lamont, I think our criminal justice system uh, has completely disregarded the fact that we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. In fact, it seems to work a lot more, a lot closer to the lines of you're guilty until you're proven innocent. You never, you don't see people saying that I'm going to keep my mind open and say that there's. These people are innocent until something has been proven. No, they come in with their predeterminations and their predispositions on what they believe a person is and who they believe they are and what they believe they probably have done, and they go based on that, as opposed to giving each and every citizen of this country the right that they, that is entitled them and that they, are, they should be treated as if they are innocent until somebody proves otherwise.
2: Well, following these actions, uh, what you didn't know is that FBI Special Supervisory Agent Gene Anderson sent correspondence to an IRP Solutions vendor stating, we find we, the FBI, are unable to assist you in this matter, and therefore no investigation will be conducted by the Federal Bureau of Investigations. However, the FBI has made it a matter of record. We feel this case would be best handled civilly and have noted that you have initiated legal action against the company and Mr. Harper... Did, did America did you hear that? Lisa did you hear
4: that? I heard that. And that has wow. been, that has been one of the initial issues on the table is if the FBI can come to the conclusion this is a civil case and can send this letter to the complainant saying, "You know what? You're you're barking up the wrong tree. You're on a witch hunt. Go to civil court." And the IRP-6 has never contended that they do not owe these staffing companies money. But the issue is even the FBI comes back and said, this is a civil matter. Take it up with civil court. How do you go forward and turn this into a criminal, federal
2: criminal case? Well, the key is here. The statement is clear. It it needs no interpretation, ladies and gentlemen, of America. She said, Gene Anderson... She was not only an agent that just came out of the academy, special supervisor agent. Gene Anderson sent correspondence stating they could no longer assist in this matter, which means that is their conclusion. And you make the statement that the IRP six are guilty of a crime. Somebody help me with that.
5: That's right. You forgot. Debt was a crime remember yeah,
2: that's, that's exactly what
4: they're how they're uh that's exactly how they're treating it they're they're basically and see that is that is why all of you listeners out there you you better understand where we're coming from because imagine you have debt with a company your credit card your car payment your mortgage that debt if the federal government feels like attacking you and say well you haven't paid your mortgage because you lost your job you're going through a divorce You have, uh, you know, some medical bills that uh, that have have really drained you. The federal government can come and say you never had an intention to pay those bills when you made that bill. Therefore, they are contending that that is fraud and you can be prosecuted by it. So if you think that the IRP 6 case does not apply to you, that it does not pertain to you, that the federal government cannot come after you. You better think again, because this case has set precedence that debt can be criminalized. They can now come back and say, well, there's a case in the 10th Circuit uh, against the company that we dub as the IRP6, and we prosecuted them and convicted them. So now we want to convict everybody who has debt. That is what this case does. That's why you better get out there. You better vote. You better fight and make sure that the laws are clear and that the ones that should not be passed do not
2: get
5: passed. That's right.
2: No, absolutely, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, again, this is what you didn't know. And we've only covered a page or two. This question and this statement is just the beginning. As we try to, Cliff, as we said earlier, we ask the tough questions. We're finding in the early going of this is that the questions are not that tough. And the answers are not that difficult to understand that they are answers of complete ridiculous uh, form, if you will, by the, the prosecution, the state attorney. All of these things, I don't have to be a lawyer to figure that out. Ladies and gentlemen, to be continued, what you didn't know about the R.P. 6 Join us next week for our next segment as we dig deeper into the corruption and the wrongful conviction of the IRP6. And I'll tell you right now, the IRP6 and every show that we do on this program is dedicated to the IRP6. They are David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo, and Clinton Stewart. There are some people responsible for their wrongful conviction, and they are guilty. And Lisa, who are their names?
3: Okay, we have U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI agent Robert Mowen, former federal agent John Epke, former federal agent Gary Hillberry, attorney Thomas Goodread, attorney Clifford Varnard, attorney Thomas Richard, attorney Robert Berger, attorney Mitchell Baker, attorney Boston Stanton Jr., attorney Rick Kornfeld, attorney Mark Garrigos, Susan Holland of ETI Professionals, and Samuel K. Thurman.
2: And thank you for that. And, folks, if you're wondering who those folks are, perpetrators of justice that are guilty of every level of fraud and deception that they could bring on the American people and on the IRP-6, who hold the key, Cliff, as we've talked earlier, hold the key uh, to ISIS, to stopping ISIS, and terrorist groups across this country that, that, that make attempts to bring danger to the homeland of the United States of America. How critical... And unseemly, if you will, of the actions of the of this government that has gone after six patriots of America to do these things is is unheard of. That's right. It, it absolutely
4: leaves you, uh, you know, just stupefied that something like this could happen. You you wouldn't think that something like this could happen in America. Just like in the uh, in the earlier clip where we heard Kim Barnes of the I.R.P. Six saying that you think that your government. Is going to sure. abide by its laws that you're innocent until proven guilty. That your, uh, you know, that your your process, the 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 rights that you have, that they're going to be upheld until it comes after you, and then you realize everything that I had was a fallacy. That I've I've been I've been looking through you know a dark glass all this time at the American government, and that's why we're here wow. to, to ensure that the listeners, you know, as many of the American people that we can possibly reach. That they understand that your your government can come after you
2: not no, unless you stop, and, and, for, and for, for no nothing. reason, for nothing, for no reason. And Cliff, uh, you know my story: wrongfully convicted here in this state. Uh, injustice is colorblind, unfortunately. It doesn't say anything. It will get anyone, anyone. It'll get a mother; it'll take a mother from their children, and it'll take a grandmother from her home and knitting and doing whatever she's doing, and it'll take children out of the arms of parents. This is the cancer of injustice. And unless we get involved and say, well, that doesn't involve me. I'm not too concerned about that. It's high time that you get concerned because this is not the only, make no mistake about it, Lisa, the IRP-6 is not the only one that have been railroaded by the system of this country and this judicial system that is going awry.
3: Absolutely not. And if anyone who sits by, stands by and says, well, uh, it's, not, it's never happened to me. Wait long enough.
2: Well, you, 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 heard, and you heard what Gary said, Lisa. He said that he thought it was a joke. Okay. He's looking outside the window at his, out of his office as he continues to work and plan and, and work hard, as all six of them did, to bring the software to the point that to protect the nation. Ladies and gentlemen, are you hearing me? Developing software to keep you, your children, who are in bed tonight for another day at school tomorrow, to keep America and our children safe. And America says, we'd like to give you a thank you card. What size sale would you like?
4: And you don't even get that much courtesy. Here, here is your 8 by 11 Well, there
2: you go. Your closet. I stand corrected. <laughs> here's, your, here's your closet down uh, in you close Colorado. Oh. You don't get a choice. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio, a special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill. We thank Ron LeGrand for his service to the United States and to the American people. What you didn't know about the RP6 will continue. Have a good night, ladies and gentlemen. And Cliff, before we go there, Cliff, thank the folks who are responsible for this program.
4: Yes, we want to say thank you to everyone in the chat rooms, on the phones. Sorry we didn't have time. We see some of you are in queue, don't have time to take those calls tonight. We're wrapping up. Call in next time. Uh, We will get to you. Also, I want to say thank you to our production crew, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson of k and D Productions, helping out Il Skillers girl and the honeycomb kids. Also, we want to say thank you to the research team. They give us accurate and up-to-date information so we can
2: pass that on to you. And to the truth, we
4: know you're out there.
2: We appreciate it. All right, folks. Good night. Uh, Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We'll see you next time here on AJC Radio. I'm Lamont Banks. For Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Jeanette Williams, have a good night. Good night. Good night. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. The RRP6, David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart have pondered that question for three years. Where is justice? What you didn't know about the IRP6 case is the question. We will deliver those answers on our new segment, What You Didn't Know About the IRP6. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers. As justice lays idle in the streets of America, we look for the answer. What you didn't know about the IRP 6 case starts right now.
7: Well, on the morning of uh, 2005, the day of the FBI ring, I remember uh, someone coming in my office saying, The FBI was. And uh and I thought they were joking possibly, but uh but mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so, thought of FBI agents so financial totally mm-hmm. screen. Uh that's a feeling of shock. Today it really makes me angry. And I remember being shocked the day it happened. I remember seeing FBI agents running into our building our building chasing down people. Uh the events
6: uh, of that day are quite clear to me. Uh and it really brings uh what we realize in this country. Uh, you're guilty
7: until proven innocent. Basically, waiting for our morning to stand up meeting you have every morning. And in the commotion of uh, all these agents coming to the door and the door. And, you know, basically being ordered around into the room to um, um, without giving an explanation of what's going on or why or who these people were. It took a, actually, I remember it took about a minute or two before they even identify themselves as the FBI. The benefit of the doubt was not given... Anything. It was almost, I mean, I want to stand by certain truths about the United States that I mean, people are guilty and it was like from the minute they walked in that door and the way we were treated, we were treated as criminals, so we were treated as, uh, I mean, we were treated as if we weren't even Americans and it, it just shocks you sometimes that uh, when you think back and you realize how authority in the wrong hands can, you know,
8: really be really take away your freedom. We were out there trying to help them, and they just really tried to demoralize us. Contributing to the development of a lot of those uh, uh, concepts and precepts and the architecture and the the technical uh, framework for the software. When I heard about the raid, I thought, "How, how, how weird is this? How ironic is this? Do they want to, what are they doing? And if they, what is the intent? And if they shut us down, uh, could this be um, purposely done, that we're doing so well to help them that they don't want us to do that? Well? What
6: is there needs to be some justice in this particular type situation. And somebody out there knows something uh, on exactly what happened to our company and what, what reasoning uh, and what events led somebody to come actually uh, do something so sinister to our company and to try to impede our progress. And and, uh, yes, we do believe somebody came in there for the express purpose to acquire our software for illegal means uh, just on the eve of us uh, closing business and having some of the most promising meeting uh, to conclude business that we had ever had in the history of our company.
2: There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice. Has gone missing. Where is she? The RP6 and countless thousands are seeking her out. What you didn't know about the RP6 story to be continued.